Welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you advice and insights for your writing. I'm Andy Chamberlain, I'm a writer and creative writing coach, and in each episode, we'll be exploring an aspect of the craft together. You can find out more about me at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you can also find out about the Creative Writers Tool Belt Handbook, which gives all the best advice and insight from the early episodes of the podcast and distill them into one volume. I hope this podcast is helpful to you on your writing journey. If you do find it useful, please consider leaving a review for the Creative Writers Toolbelt wherever you download it. So thank you for joining me and here's the episode. And welcome to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. The podcast is officially on hiatus, but just occasionally I will be releasing an episode. And this is episode 181. And I want to start by asking you a question. Do you know your dead salmon from your downpipe? Now, in the unlikely event that those phrases mean anything at all to you, well done. And you can feel a bit smug. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, then please do keep listening. In any event, I hope you found that title just faintly amusing. And that would be entirely appropriate as the subject of this episode is comedic writing. The subtle art of writing something funny. And to explore this topic further, I am joined in this episode by my good friend, the blogger, speaker and author, Ruth Lee. Ruth is the author of the Isabella M. Smooge series, the third instalment of which, titled The Continued Times of Isabella M. Smooge, has just been released as of September 2022. If you've ever thought about comedic writing or you've discovered just how difficult it is to do well, then this episode is for you. Enjoy. Okay, Ruth, welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt. It's such a joy to get the chance to speak with you. You and I have had lots of conversations and lots of laughs and lots of fun. And it is laughs and fun to an extent that I want to talk to you about today. So comedic writing, I've got huge respect for people who can do comedic writing successfully. It's quite a difficult art and the people who are really good at it make it look so simple and it's, it's wonderful to read their work. And I would include you in, you. in that group kind of people. Of so, uh, Ruth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Do you want to do you want to start by telling us a little bit about you and your your writing, your writer's journey? Yes, of course. Well, thanks for having me again, Andy. It's great to be here. My writer's journey started in May 2020, the fiction writer's journey, anyway, when I wrote a funny blog for the ACW blog in April. Then I wrote it again the next month, making up this ridiculous one-dimensional character called Isabella M. Smooge. And then I was approached by Tony Collins, an agent, saying, actually, I think this would make a good novel. And so I wrote the first novel, The Diary of Isabella M. Smooge. So that's when it began for me, not that long ago. Hmm. The first book came out in January 21. And I knew right from the start it was going to be funny because I'd never had the opportunity to write funny before. Um, my writing career at that point had been freelance and you, you can't really make jokes in freelance. People don't pay you to make jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, someone gets in touch and says, hi, Ruth, I want to sell more, I don't know, tins of sardines and they're the great sardine company. Can you write me a series of blogs? And I say, absolutely. We agree an hourly rate. And then I have to sell sardines. You know, I, I haven't done that yet. Yeah. No, that's my job. 
<laughs> my job is to drive potential sardine consumers towards the website of the sardine yes. company by my writing. And you, you can't make jokes in there. So there are all these jokes and things I've read for years and funny stuff sloshing about in my head, not going anywhere, apart from, of course, the witty repartee that my friends and family have become so used to. So as soon as I started writing her, I thought, yeah, funny, because I'd begun writing funny blogs. And it was such a relief to me. I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm making these jokes that I think are funny and other people are finding them funny. So that's really good. So I had a little bit of confidence. So by the time it came to write her, I knew it was going to be a funny book. Mm. Mm. Crucially, it's not just a joke fest. It's funny, but there's something underneath it. You know, there's sadness, there's heart. Mm. Mm. You know, there's a lot of stuff underneath it because I think otherwise it would just be a string of jokes and that's not a book. Yeah. So this series, it's not a, it's not like a joke book as no. at all, is it? I having, having read the first two books. And as you say, some of it is quite poignant or mm. and sad and and quite challenging um mm. and yet and yet still funny i mean maybe we'll come to this maybe we'll come to the you know how humor can work in difficult contexts perhaps but yeah um, i want to just ask you a little bit about this character so it, it sounds like she didn't come to you fully formed no you know, kind of jk rowling and harry Potter <laughs> way, but no certainly not <laughs> you kind of built her over time then yeah, I doodled. I was doodling her on the back of an envelope in time on a tradition in my dining room um, on a sort of cold, wet, windy day in April 2020. And I thought, right, I'll make up a woman, you know, opposite of me. And I thought, I'm going to really exaggerate the comic effect. I want, I know, my, my idea was to write a very, very funny blog. And I had the title, which was The Utter Joy of One's Craft, which you would say in her voice, oh, the utter joy of one's craft. And the fact that she refers to saying one's craft, you know, craft, who, who really says that? I mean, I never do. Oh, craft, you know, I'm working on the craft at the moment. It's, you know, it's pretentious. So I knew she was terribly pretentious, but also terribly successful. And I really, I'm, I'm very fond of that kind of wordplay. So for example, yeah. the obvious parallel to draw would be between Dickens and Trollope, who are two of my favourite writers. And I specialised in that at university. Victorian novel is my thing. And most people would say, oh, Dickens, you know, the way he he comes up with people's names is superb. And you know, if you look mm. at Dickensian names, they are. They are what they say they are. They're funny. They're, you don't quite know why they're funny, but they are. And to a certain extent, I think Trollope too, he comes up with some magnificent names, mm. which are funny and they make you laugh. So it's, it's broader comedy with him. But for example, in the Barchester Chronicles, you've got Mr. Quiverful, mm. Mr. Quiverful, who... He has an incredibly fertile wife and they're just constantly having children. I think he's got 14 by the time you get to this book. And, you know, obviously he's making a joke about uh, the, the the scripture. I can't remember which one it is about. Your quiver will be full and you will be greatly blessed, you know, something like that. In the yes, yes. And so that's quite broad comedy. As soon as you know that they're called Mr and Mrs Quiverful, you know that they're constantly having babies and the rectory's a bit shabby and they haven't really got enough money because they keep on having children. So... I liked the idea of a name that tells you something about the character. And I knew that she, this woman was going to be dreadfully smug and annoying. So I knew she had to, her surname had to be smug. I thought, okay. And then I just thought, wouldn't it be funny, I thought to myself, if I could spell out a name that read out, I am smug, because everyone gets who she is. And as I say, this is only for a blog, so I didn't realise she was going to become a thing. So I was, I was sitting there, so sort I of thinking, right, quite a posh sort of upper middle class girl's name, what would that be? And I thought Isabella, perfect, because it's, it's Isabella. 
And then I thought Anne. Well, I can't call her Anne. Isabella Anne Smooth. She's got to be M. So Isabella M. Smug. So she was Mrs. Smug. Okay. But that's not that funny. And it didn't look right. And something told me to get my pencil and put GE on the end. And I thought, oh, smooge, as in Bruges. And that just was so ludicrously pretentious <laughs> that she would always go around to people who called her Mrs. Smug and say, no, no, it's smooge, as in Bruges. And I just thought, that's that's funny. That already, I know. Yeah. And then that was it. I was never going to do anything more with her. It was Brilliant. just okay. So, but I wonder if part of the, part of why the humour works is because we can believe that there are people who would say, oh, my name's Smooge as in Bruges and, and take <laughs> yeah. it terribly seriously. And it, it's, it's, it's not so fantastic that it's unbelievable and therefore unfunny. It, there's something, no. it's almost like humour is rooted in truth or somebody's truth at least. I'm into that. I, I, yes. That's a point I was going to make later, actually, that, you know, you can be funny and that's great, but it does have to be believable at some level. I think you can exaggerate and you can expand metaphor and you can expand funny and you can stretch that elastic band quite a long way. But you've got to be careful it doesn't tip over into over farcical, mm. the surreal. Mm. Um, great believer when it comes to books in amusing people, entertaining people, making them laugh. That's what I want to do. I don't want to be you know, making jokes that are too, I don't know, too, too self-indulgent perhaps. Mm. So I'm stretching that elastic band. She, obviously she's moderately over the top, but there are people like her in the world. I follow her. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I was watching one this morning. And I was like, Oh, you are her. You actually are her. And yet I wrote this without following these people on Instagram, you know, but they're doing all the things that she does. They've even got family rooms like she does. And, you know, mm. Those are brilliant ideas for book four, the um the pretentious paint company or something. So I have lots of fun making up these <laughs> ludicrous names of you know, products. You yes, do. lots of wonderful. Mm-hmm. So so it's almost like good sketch comedy, I suppose, isn't there? That, that yeah. where where the characters are taking themselves seriously and are just believable, but are also hilarious. So that's an element of humour. One of the other things I've noticed in your book, which I wanted to get you to comment on, was the potential the comedic potential of throwing very different characters together so yes. like you have is it leanne oh yes leanne her, mate, her friend leanne let's call her friend um so perhaps you could talk to us a little bit about isabella and leanne yeah well i knew straight away that she had to have first of all an enemy and then a frenemy because she becomes a frenemy by book two and i just thought it's funny putting someone like isabella on a bog standard state primary playground that's full of comedic potential but it's a lot funnier if she comes up against someone who one who frightens her because Isabella is normally the one in charge Mm. who's someone who a doesn't know who she is and b doesn't give a hoot who she is um and so so it's a little bit I suppose a little bit like the idea of Frasier you know he's terribly pretentious and intellectual and up himself and along comes Daphne Moon, who doesn't, who's never heard of him, and sort of pricks that balloon of pretension in a in a, in a much more affectionate way. Whereas Leanne is quite brutal about yeah. it. <laughs> I just thought, you know, the thing is, they can't escape from each other. It's that no. whole mix in comedy where you're together, you know, somewhere, and you know, one of them could change schools, but they're not going to. And their sons are in the same class; they clash, and therefore the mothers are going to have to come into some kind of awful relationship with each other. And poor Isabella has this kind of habit of 
speaking in this rather bewildered way. And she she seemed to be angry with me. She, she was wearing a very um strange shade of leather jacket, that kind of thing. Because she's looking at everybody through her filter, which is ridiculously exaggerated and false. And Leanne is just about as unfiltered as you come. She's as unfiltered as a cigarette she smokes, you know. She's going to tell Isabella what she what she thinks of her. Mm. And she always calls her smug, which really makes me laugh because you're right, smug, you know. <laughs> it annoys yeah. Isabella and it, it yes. her, but there's nothing she can do about it, which is funny, I think. So we've got we've got humor that's rooted in truth. We've got humor from very different characters that come together. And humor in difficult contexts, like humor in a family where where family members are suffering or yeah. humor when there's been a you know personal personal tragedy or unfaithfulness or you know how 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 does that work in your mind then yeah i think that's where the the blending of humor and pathos comes in um there's a passage i haven't got it marked but there's a passage in number 2 um i think it's in number 2 which i always read out and it's always the same it's it's funny it starts off funny there she is lying in bed and she's enumerating all these objects around her that she endorses and of course there that's funny but then she goes to sleep and she says when i woke in the morning my award winning winning pillow was wet with tears and everyone mm. that at that point people do often wipe tears away it's the old one too as i always call it you take them down one path funny 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 and then oh good lord that really hurts mm. shock i think it's that sort of you're not expecting it um you can certainly wring humour out of difficult, challenging family situations. And I've certainly done that with the mother and some of the in-laws, you know, the mm. sort of position of these people who, again, don't have a choice. They're family. They're stuck with each other and it doesn't really work. It's like a car going along without not quite enough oil. You know, it's funny smells and there's sparks and it doesn't work as well as it should. But in there, I've, I have actually put some really tragic stuff, you know, mm. look at mm. it. You actually lay it all bare. There's some really sad things going on. And I think what I was doing unconsciously at the time, I didn't realise I was doing it, but now I've read it back, I see that I was. What I like to do is be really funny and then suddenly something will happen, sad. And then Isabella being who she is, she deflects and then she leaps back into something else. So you're, oh, okay, we can laugh again now. But then something else happens. It's not, not like a roller coaster. That's too cliched. But it's perhaps a little bit like life, you know, in the midst of laughing, suddenly you're crying. Everything's mm-hmm. great. And then suddenly something unexpected happens. That is life. And yes, I've exaggerated it for comic effect. But I think humour can really underpin poignancy and sadness. Mm-hmm. It, it frames mm-hmm. what you like. Um, and and, I, and I'm not just saying that because I think that's what I've done. It's because people have told me that people who perhaps were really struggling with something when they read the book. Mm. Mm. They needed a laugh and they did get that, but there was also something else in there they needed, perhaps to know that, you know, it's okay to feel this way because even yeah. it's like that sometimes. Yeah. It's almost as if humour and sorrow or humour and pain are not, which, which you wouldn't think would necessarily go together, actually can. Mm. They can coexist and they don't, they don't, they're not inappropriate. One doesn't make the other inappropriate almost. No, they don't cancel each other out. They almost, I don't know, they're, they're good bedfellows, I think. Mm. Mm. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about was 
being observant. So I think you're someone who is very observant and uh, paying, you know, you pay attention as good writers do to the details around you um, and then think about their potential. Is, is that true? Um, can mm. you give us an example of maybe how you've done that? Very true. There's always something, you know, I'm always overhearing something or looking at something. Going back to the paint, I can't remember what it was. Oh, no, I can. I can remember. One of my freelance jobs is writing for an estate agent, which I've mentioned before, and they are wonderful people. Plus, getting to look at other people's very posh houses means it gives me stacks of ideas for Isabella. And um, I found myself quite recently having a conversation with somebody, and I was saying, oh, I'm just looking at the walls of your snug, and that to me looks like, I think it was dead salmon. She said, yes, oh, very good, that is dead salmon. And we went round her house, and I was saying, now, Correct me if I'm wrong, but is that downpipe grey? Yes, it is. Is that rectory room grey? Yes. Is that, oh, what else did I come up with? I think I managed to identify Mouse's back and the Stooky Blue. So I went around her whole house um, looking at Farrow and Ball. Other paint colours are available. Farrow and Ball paints, identifying them correctly, which is just what Isabella was, would do. And then I think I managed to identify a couple of other quite posh things. And she obviously was terribly impressed by my ability. Mm. I must live in this kind of house. And I disabused her and said, no, 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 no. I do this all the time and this is very helpful for me. Anyway, after that conversation, I thought, right, I can, I can make something up really funny here. So there's a slight, there's a kind of intimation of it at the end of book three when Isabella goes to her school reunion, which I think you will enjoy very much, Andy. That's very funny. I've said myself. And she is staying in a room, very posh room. She looks at the paint colour and immediately identifies not only the make, but also the shade which of course is this year's shade. And I thought to myself, I could really have a lot of fun with this. So in book four, there will be a tie up with paint. And she will this. Yeah. <laughs> that. And then I was in the supermarket yesterday and there was this yeah. cross lady and a rather deaf husband. And she shouted, cucumber Malcolm. And I just thought, cucumber Malcolm, that's brilliant. How am I going to work that in? But she was just so angry with poor Malcolm. And I don't know if she was trying to offer him a cucumber or reminding him that he should have bought one. Cucumber Malcolm, it just, just made me laugh. So that will turn up somewhere. I guess that, and that does, uh, that kind of tunes or, or kind of aligns with, you know, we laugh at people who are different, but they are still, ex they still exist, don't they? And, and that's slightly kind of crazy. I mean, he'd have to be called Malcolm, wouldn't he? It's just yeah. the right name. For it's exactly it. the right name and the right vegetable. Cute. It's the right vegetable. Yes. Apologies yeah. to anybody called Malcolm out there. Listening to Sorry, Malcolm, if you're listening. <laughs> so, so there really is a paint colour called dead salmon. Yes, oh gosh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> elephant's breath. Um, oh, loads of elephant's them. breath. Really, elephant's breath. Yes, grey. Very on trend, darling. Very surprised you don't know this. I'm such a nerd <laughs> now. I'm such a property nerd that I can actually tell you. I'm not going to. I can tell you oh. what year's top selling colours were for Farrow and Ball, and this year's. Yeah, that's. Well, it's not unbelievable because obviously it's true. Yeah. But dead salmon. Who wants anyway? I won't go there. Oh, and um, sulking room pink. That's the other one. Sulking room pink. Sulking room pink. Sulking room pink. Because I think the literal translation of is it parlor. I should know this. It's an 18th century thing where um, the ladies would go and sulk in a room, and that became known as the drawing room or the parlor or something. It's a French 18th century concept. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And Farrow Wonderful. and whoever's doing their paint colours is a genius. Sulking room pink. There you go. Yeah. That is well. If they, if if that person ever leaves that job, yeah, you will be perfect for it, wouldn't you? The I feel like Arrow and Ball Paint Color Consultant. 
I'd love that. That would be that would be what such a great job. Oh yeah. <laughs> Again, Farrow and Board, if you're listening, I'm here. I'm available. We should get them to sponsor this episode. <laughs> Shall we? I bet they'd love it. I bet we do them no end of good. They sell a lot of paint because of us, you know. They would. We're dead salmon and was it sulking room pink? Sulking room pink. Sulking, and elephant. Mouse's bread. back. Mouse oh, is yeah. back. Wonderful. Great stuff. Um, is there are, are there other sort of aspects to to humorous writing, comedic writing that you want to talk to us about? Then I've mentioned we've mentioned a few. Yeah, I think one of the things which sounds a bit obvious, but I think it's terribly important, is I think you should read and watch a lot of funny. Um, because I think once you know what you find funny, and this is gonna sound really dull, but it really does work. So Lots of things that, you know, sort of shared sort of British thing. Everyone pretty much finds Forty Towers and Only Fools and Horses funny. Um, but why is that? And I quite often will think I'll find something hilariously funny. And at some level, I'm analysing what is so funny. Mm-hmm. I could use that. Um, so it's it's a little bit like, you know, a, a joke might look like a soap bubble. It might look like a fragile thing. Under that soap bubble is an iron skeleton. Someone's worked really hard to make those words fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's really important. If you want to write funny, you've got to read and watch funny a lot and listen as well. Um, listen to talking books. You know, I, I've mentioned P.G. Woodhouse before in this context. He's the obvious one. You know, he's just terribly, terribly funny. But why? You know, if you can write like that, you're doing jolly well. People listening to this and haven't come across your work before may well now be intrigued. Intrigued. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? If they were intrigued, yeah. yeah. Intrigued. I'm trying to think of a better word than intrigued, but it, I can't. Intrigued works for me. <laughs> um, a gog with anticipation to perhaps hear <laughs> uh, a few words from from. Uh, is this is this going to be from your new book that's coming out soon? That you're going to read, or are you going to read something from one of the other? It ones? could be. I, I will do. What I actually came up with. Um, I came up with a really. Though I said myself, rather a good one from book two. Very brief. Now this is uh, the point I was about to make next. Was that you can sometimes have a sentence that isn't funny and then you can add a couple of words and it's quite funny, but then you add a couple more words and it's really funny. So I was writing this, this is right at the beginning of book two, the trials of Isabella M. Smooge and poor old Isabella is in a terrible state. You know, she's lots of stuff going on. I won't, I won't say what, because it will spoil it. I haven't read one, but she's desperately trying to look after three children by herself pretty much. And she's pregnant as well. And it's not going well. So I'll read it out to you and I'll explain why I think it's funny. Yeah, sure. Mornings are hell, a flurry of half-eaten breakfast, missing shoes, last-minute homework and pathetic arguments over nothing. Drives me crazy. I need space and tranquility if I am to continue being one of the UK's most respected and revered lifestyle bloggers. The children don't seem to understand this, however many times I shout it at them. Hashtag generation gap. Right, well, I think that's quite funny. (laughs) You're laughing, that's good. It wasn't funny at all. Really, it was a little bit funny until I added in the children don't seem to understand this however many times I shouted at them. And that's funny, I think, because I'm juxtaposing two things. One minute she's talking about herself in the third person, you know, the most revered, you know, most revered life Mm. in the UK, which gives you a mental picture of a very calm woman in a tidy kitchen and everything being perfect. The next minute she's shouting at her children because she has to continue being this revered lifestyle blogger. Yes. (laughs) Funny. It made me laugh. So it's juxtaposition. I like the way. Uh, well, I, I did like flurry of breakfast as well. I thought that was that was that <laughs> captured captured crazy yes. breakfasts with kids perfectly. And um, the I don't know what the words were exactly. It was something like however much I shouted at them or, or yeah. So because I was, I think normally we would associate that 
that phraseology with however much I explain it or however much I talk. Exactly. But in and it's but in fact, there is no communication as such here. It's just shouting it at them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And they don't care. We don't. They don't care that she's a lifestyle blogger that she is, and that she's the woman that gorgeous home called Britain's most relatable mum blogger. They just want their breakfast and be able to fight with each other. That's why it's funny. You know, not her play yeah, yeah. meant to be there. The au pair's meant to be doing this while she takes pictures and tells everyone how perfect her life is. Something's gone wrong. You know, that's why it's funny. I think. And you've you've used your your main character is this wonderfully. I mean, we should say she's very successful. She's a oh, successful yes. lifestyle blogger, and you've complemented the text with these lovely hashtag phrases. So that perhaps it's worth talking about that just for a moment because that's obviously given you another whole kind of rich vein to mine, hasn't it? Um, these these <laughs> oh, lovely yes. hashtags. Can you just tell us about the hashtags that you use? Yeah. Well, the irony is before I wrote this, I, I used to really slag off people who used hashtags. I found them incredibly <laughs> irritating and pointless. For goodness sake, what on earth are they doing this? I really did hate it. It drove me mad. And then as soon as I started writing Isabella, of course, I knew that she would be hashtagging constantly. So it just... I just had so much fun because I think of something and then I'd make it into a hashtag. And some of them, I'm just literally opening up the book. Um, some of them, you know, happy family, perfect life, you know, all this kind of thing. You expect her to say those things. Um, but some of them are quite funny. So she's talking about in book one, how she can't wait to go to Verbier to the family um, chalet. And then she says, hashtag smooches in the snow, which, you know, <laughs> is the sort of thing she would say, yeah. uh, of course, would start trending. I'm just having a look for some more. But I mean, I just I just made them all up. Dry January, that's right, that's another one. Some are real, but some are just ridiculous. You know, I just made them up because they were just ridiculous. And now I can't really think of one, of course. But um, yeah, they, they just add something. And when I'm reading out a funny paragraph or a funny piece at a conference or a talk, the hashtag, I've realised that audibly, if that's the right word, it's funny, but it's even funnier when I say hashtag something, something. People just laugh hysterically because mm. you're not meant to read them out. You're meant to read them, you know, in your head. You're not meant to say hashtag this, hashtag perfect life, hashtag love my husband, hashtag love my life, because that just sounds so pretentious, which is yeah. it's so funny. Now I come to think about it. Which is perfect for her, isn't it? <laughs> because it's, yeah. she probably would read them out without any sense of irony. <laughs> yes, she would. <laughs> and she that is, woman. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. And um, so um, have you got a passage that you can read to give us an example yes. of how you think comedic writing works and how it should? We've talked about um, principles here. Can you give us like an application, you know, an applied? Yeah, I will. Okay. So it's it's not too long. I've um I've it's it's yeah, moderately near the beginning of the book. And I I think really what it is when I was writing it, I wanted it to be farcical. So most of your classic uh comedy sitcoms, if you want to call them that, English and American, in most, nearly every series will contain one episode which is written in a farcical style. So lots of doors opening and shutting, people just missing each other, misunderstandings. And at the end, it all comes into this one sort of huge outburst where everyone's got the wrong idea and has to be put right. And fast done very well is excellent and fast done badly is shocking. So I thought, okay, actually, I've got all these people who can't meet, because if they do, who knows what will happen? It will be farcical. So I took this very large house. I took Isabel, Isabella and her husband, who, who obviously aren't getting on at all well. Her mother, Isabella's mother, who hates Johnny, and Johnny doesn't like her either. And then I've got Isabella's sister, Suze, who used to be Johnny's girlfriend until Isabella stole Johnny. 
So, of course, you've got all these people who mm. you're meeting, but they do. And I thought, right, let's write some farce um, narrated by Izzy. So here it is. So it's the weekend. She's waiting for everyone to come to the thing. Occasionally, when I'm flicking through the channels, I happen upon one of those programmes where two groups of people are shouting abuse at each other and subtitles flash up on the screen. Things like, she stole my husband and now she wants me to follow her on TikTok. Now, just, just to break in there, that's funny because she says, I happen upon one of those programmes. You know, she's talking about it in this lofty way that, she, of course, she would never normally watch such a thing, which is funny. I've never bothered with such brain-numbing trash. But as I hovered by the front door, phone in hand on Friday evening, it occurred to me that I am involved in just such a Byzantine love triangle. I say love. There is no love lost between at least two of the participants. Johnny usually turns up to collect the children around 6pm. Sue's will be pulling up on the drive around 7pm. Naturally, I can't risk the two of them being at the old rectory at the same time. And mummy lurking in the snug, and you can imagine the awkwardness. He dumped my sister for me, and now he's run off with the au pair. My mother hates my husband, and so does my sister. Mummy was leafing through a stack of magazines when the sound of Johnny's car crunching over the gravel, half an hour late, reached my anxious ears. I flung the door open and called the children. My husband took my hands in his and kissed me. Is darling, you look incredible. I love that dress on you. He was looking his usual handsome self, but this was not the time for standing on the doorstep exchanging pleasantries. I ran into the kitchen to extricate the baby from his bouncy chair and became aware that the unthinkable had happened. Suze was pulling onto the drive half an hour early. Johnny was on his way to the kitchen and Mummy was shuffling out of the snug. So everybody's coming together. So here's the farcical element. The temperature dropped by about 30 degrees. Johnny smiled charmingly and kissed my mother on both cheeks before she could escape. Caroline, you're looking wonderful, younger than ever. Give Mummy her due. When push comes to shove, she'll always back the right horse. Don't give me that, Johnny Smooge. My daughter might not be able to see you for who you really are, but I certainly can. Leaning on the doorframe with one hand, she tapped his shins smartly with her walking stick. Give me that baby, Isabella. Your sister's here. I was unsure whether to laugh, cry or fall into a swoon on the perfectly clean and sparkling kitchen floor, but contented myself with letting out a high-pitched whinny of fake laughter, settling mummy back on the sofa and putting Milo on her lap. Urgent diversionary action was required. I turned to my husband, struck temporarily dumb and rubbing his leg. Mummy packs quite a punch. Go up the back stairs and find the children. Do not, I repeat, do not come downstairs until I text you. I grabbed his arm and hustled him unceremoniously into the lobby by the back stairs. Suze was walking into the kitchen just as I emerged. Thanks heavens for my Georgian house. You can't pull off these kind of shenanigans in a new build. So there we are. So we end with that kind of throwaway line, <laughs> which I talk about later. Throwing away a line, it has to be light and fluffy and funny, but have a number. Yes. So yes. she's basically saying, you know, I'm a little bit better than you because I've got this enormous house. But that's a good thing because if I lived in a new build like you do, I couldn't have all these parts of my life crashing into each other and me trying to keep them apart. So there's the farcical elements, lots of yeah. down, you know, lots of the way she speaks is quite funny, I think. And and nicely sketched little characters. So we do get a sense of what mummy is like. From this, don't we and we do get a sense of Johnny's kind of um, shallowness, slightly slightly sleazy charm. Let's say, yeah, getting um, sleazy by the minute, Andy. I can assure you. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can imagine. Well, I've you know, I, having having read the first two books, I've formed a very firm opinion of of Johnny, 
and mm. uh, you know, I know which camp I fall into. You're not alone in that one. All my male <laughs> readers have an extremely low opinion of him. Very low opinion. Yes, it's, it's, that's you interesting. Do you think? Do you think your female readers are more forgiving of him than the, your male readers? Then no, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. They can't stand him. I've had one female reader tell me that she thinks he deserves a second chance. Um, but it's interesting that the men talk about it in a different way to the women. They all feel the same. Yeah. Express it differently. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's yeah, it, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, um, people would have to read it to, to, yes, they would. to know what we were talking about. Uh, yeah, Johnny, bless him. And and I would actually say as well. So, like when I first contemplated reading your work, I did think uh, you know in the confessional, oh, chiclet. I don't yeah. read chiclet. I read science fiction and a bit of yeah. spy novels and. A bit of non-fiction now and again. I'm not reading this. What's all? But actually, it was engrossingly hilarious. Oh, that's um, good to know. Thank you. Thank you. This is not my usual genre, genre at all. Um, so I endorse it without reservation. So uh, if, if people want to find out more about Izzy Smooge, about the series, um, and perhaps you could tell us about that and about this, this new instalment, Mm. story that's coming out then okay so the new installment the continued times of Isabella M Smooge comes out for pre-order this coming Tuesday so that's the 20th well by the time you hear this it will be not this coming Tuesday so it comes out on the 20th of September <laughs> uh, obviously we're recording this ahead of time so easy peasy to get hold of it all you have to do is visit my website ruthleewrites.co.uk and that's lee l-e-i-g-h you can find me on all the socials, just like Isabella. So Facebook, TikTok, Twitter and Instagram, all Ruth Lee writes is my handle. Just get in touch. You can also find it um, on Eden, Amazon, Waterstones, in all good bookshops. She's everywhere. She's everywhere. She, really she is, is everywhere, isn't she? Yeah. Yes. No escape. Yes. Gosh. OK, Ruth, thank you so much for sharing with us today, giving us a few secrets on comedic writing. Wonderful. And uh, I wish you well with the lovely Izzy and her mouse back paint and her <laughs> sulky pink parlor or whatever it was called. I remember it was called. elephant's breath elephant's breath all that stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> wonderful right cheerio then thanks thank you bye Bye-bye. thank you for listening to the creative writers toolbelt podcast you can find out more about the podcast at my website andrewjchamberlain.com where you can also find details of the Creative Writer's Toolbelt Handbook, which takes all the best advice and insight from the early episodes of the podcast and distills it into one volume. I hope this episode has been helpful to you on your writing journey. If it has, please consider leaving a review for the Creative Writer's Toolbelt podcast wherever you download it. Thank you for listening to this episode and goodbye. <laughs>